Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, hello, and welcome along to the latest Forza Italian Football podcast. As ever, I am your host, Connor Clancy. Um, and I've got my two friends back with me again, Vito Doria and Kevin Pogazowski. Vito, hello. Hi, Connor. I'm glad to be here as always. But after this round of action, I think this is going to be a really special pod. I think uh, this was really one for the true Serie A fans, a real great weekend of excitement and drama. So let's dissect that all. Yeah, we've got... A lot of pressure on us this week, really. Um, Kev, are you up to to the pressure? Hi, Connor. I am, yeah. It certainly was a weekend of drama, particularly if you're uh, writing a match report and have two goals in the last uh, 15 minutes. Mate, I, I told you about my, my incident last week. Um, so I was at Fiorentina Sampdoria, which finished three each, of course, and I had my had one report ready. Then I had to change it to another, then another, then another. It was a nightmare. Thankfully... I say, thankfully, this week I didn't get quite as much drama because in, in the nine Serie A games to take place, there were 33 goals, okay? I was at two of those games, so you would expect that I saw maybe eight goals. I saw one in two games. I'm devastated. And it came in the worst of the two games as well. It's, it was a frustrating weekend for me, and I'm a little bit tired, but... We have people in the comments already. Paul Lonardi, hello. Austin Baldwin, hello. And Lock Yes comes in and he gets the ball rolling with incredible games today. Yeah. Where, where should we start, boys? I think the obvious place is with the league leaders and the, the latest game to be played. Um, Lazio 1, Juventus 2. Kev, you did the report for us for ForzaItalianFootball.com. So I'll start with you. It looked like Lazio were finally going to break their hoodoo against big teams and beat Juventus, funnily enough, again. But in the end, it all came crumbling down. Yeah, it was a, it was a strange game. I was, I was really impressed with, uh, with Lazio. I think, uh, as I wrote in my report, Lucas set the tone, sort of snapping into challenges and getting the ball distributed nice and quickly. And also, I think... Inzaghi 
almost took a, a no win or a no lose, if you like, outlook and, and just went for not all out attack, but just went to try and test Juventus. And they certainly were, were very, very poor first half, Emre Chan in particular. Um, but when we spent the last few weeks saying how if you look sad it is that the, the total race is potentially done, from European hopes for Juventus, that perspective that they can sort of go up a gear and actually actually sort of um, take the game to, to a really, really well-prepared Lazio was um, positive from their point of view, an Italian uh, point of view for, for Europe this year, I think. Yeah, it is refreshing, isn't it? Because, look, we know, we've said it, we say it every week, Scudetto's done. It's been done since probably last May when they won the last one and completely deflated Napoli and when they brought in Cristiano Ronaldo. It's a different ballgame. But they were pushed here, Vito, and it was it was a couple of substitutions that kind of changed things for them. Uh, João Cancelo obviously showing just how good he is again. Uh, he is the best player in the world in his position now. I, I can't see anyone else who contests him. I'm not sure about you. At the moment, his form absolutely justifies it. Uh, he's got great pace down the wing, uh, can comfortably beat his man, and I think he's a superb crosser of the ball. Uh, this game he showed that it can even chip in with the goal, so it was a well-taken goal, and it also goes to show that uh, you know, Juve, they have all those options there. They don't need to rely on Cristiano Ronaldo or when he's been fit, Mario Mandzukic. So, you know, when you have a squad like Juve's and you've got those extra options, it's very good. And then if you've got a right back like Cancelo, that is a, another bonus. Yeah, Kev, how good is it that they're not? Well, I know Cristiano Ronaldo still scored the penalty. But Juve have come from behind in the last four minutes of a game and we're not speaking about him. No, he was he was quite poor last week and, and although he didn't do much until the uh, the penalty, I think a lot of credit has to go to Bastos. He was very, very physical on him, uh, almost as if Inzaghi had told him to go man for man on Ronaldo when he was over that side. Um I think it was early in the second half. It looked like Douglas Costa had sort of stationed himself there permanently for a while to sort of keep um, Ronaldo out of Bastos's reach, um, you know. But eventually went back over there. I think I, I wrote up the report being very, very positive for Concello, but uh, I, I think Bernadeschi, when, when I sort of looked back because I was trying to write all this in the last fifteen minutes, he probably had a, a an equally uh, important impact on the game. Um, it was his run. Uh, obviously brought the equaliser, cutting the ball back to Dybala in, and it was his cross. Um, I believe that uh, then Cancelo was um, Cancelo was fouled for. Um, but you know, having that strength off the bench is just going to be you know be vital, providing they haven't now lost Benucci and will then have defensive problems. Even if they lost Benucci, would it really be that much of an issue? I don't know. There was a there was a moment in the first half where Rugani sort of flew into a channel uh, challenge with Immobile when, when Lazio were clearly up for the game. And I think if you're playing against a side that determined and um, that quick on the ball in the, in the Champions League, and then he's, he's sort of flying into challenges like that, it, it just highlights that lack of experience from him as much as I, I, I rate him. Um, and really, if you, if you take into account the, the Tottenham game last year for Juventus, it was the experience really that got them through that, through that game. 
and and that's where it can be crucial in the latter stages. I think they don't need Benucci for that, mate. They're bringing back big Martin Caceres. What more could they ask for? They've got the main man. I that's a transfer that's baffling, isn't it? But you know it's Juventus, so it'll work. He'll score the winner for them against Real Madrid in the Champions League semi-final or something, and that'll be that. Nobody will question it anymore. But Vito Kev brought up. Bernardeschi's performance and Adriano focused on Bernardeschi in our player ratings as well. Is he quietly but quickly becoming one of their top three, top five most important players? I don't know if I'd really go that far, but when he has been fully fit, he has been a player that can make a difference and he does offer different options due to his skills on the ball, but also his versatility. He doesn't really have one fixed position. And also with the formation allegedly has been using this season, his role has had to change again. But uh, no, it's good for him that if he can adapt to whatever system Allegri uses and still make an impact on Juve's performance, I think that's a real bonus. And again, just goes to this... Uh, not so much issue in their case, but the fact that they've got the depth, even if things don't go their way, they've got players that can turn it around, and Bernadeschi is one of them. They do have that depth, but we saw maybe somewhere where they seem to have depth, but the quality of the stand-in isn't quite up to scratches in midfield. Emre Chan didn't have his, his best game, Kevin. Is, is it a, a concern for them that when Merlin Pjanic is out, things don't take over quite as nicely as they should. Uh, and maybe this is ridiculous. They did still win 2-1. But the facts are, Pjanic wasn't there and they weren't at their best. Emre Chan just isn't good enough to be first first team for, for, for Juventus. Um, he slows the play down. He always did for Liverpool. Uh, you know, and i got to watch him uh, week in, week out practically. And... For the for the ties where, you know, you could argue that they need a little bit more physical robustness in midfield, and he does give you that. He's a big, powerful, sort of athletic type of player. Um, but but against the rest of the side, you can probably replace uh, Pjanic with Bentecourt and just leave Emre Chan to come in and close a game out if you want to give him some minutes, to be perfectly honest. Um, but I think if they were to have a long-term injury to Pjanic, um, they would probably really feel that they should, you know, should have a better backup than what they've got there at the moment. It could really... Yeah, well, this result will move on. Now it leaves Lazio remarkably as low as eighth. Two teams who are now ahead of them, Roma and Atalanta. Wow. Um, Vito, I was at a Roma-Atalanta game in Bergamo a couple of years ago that finished 3-3, and I thought that was as crazy as this fixture could get. But then today happened. Roma 3-0 up just before halftime, cruising. I was messaging my dad through the first half of this on my way to the, the Olympico in, in Turin. And the first one went in, the second one went in, the third one went in. But because it was Roma, I never quite thought it was done. And then when Castagna pulled one back, I ran to the Olympico to make sure I saw the second half. And I'm glad I did because, Vito, what happened? Uh, unbelievable game. And I'll tell you what, Connor, if you're watching that game in Bergamo yourself, uh, I reckon you would have been pulling the hair 
out of the top of your head, and then you'd probably be pulling the hair from your beard. <laughs> from a, I reckon for Atalanta fans, it would have been that frustrating to watch, especially that first half, because Atalanta were doing mostly attacking, and Roma, they looked dangerous on the counter-attack, but uh, to go 3-0 up in the first half, I think it was very harsh on Atalanta because they were having a good crack of it, and they were just looking that killer touch in the final third, but then in the second half, Atalanta persevered with their game and Roma, they slowed down and did the usual things, thought it was in the bag. And then uh, Atalanta got pretty much what they deserved. They got level and, to be honest, I think Atalanta should have won that game. Yeah, they absolutely should have. I, I was making noises, involuntary noises that I didn't think were possible sitting in the, the press room at Torino. And people were looking at me like I was crazy. But then other people started making the noises too, who had no affiliation to either of the clubs. It, it was crazy, Kev. Absolute chaos. But as mad as it sounds, Atalanta will end that game slightly disappointed. They will, yeah. And I think they've got to be... They, they can't be too hard on themselves regarding the first couple of goals. You know, you're, you're three minutes into the game and then you have a fantastic touch by uh, Zaniolo down to, down to Dzeko, who shows the form that he had last season. And then, although um, the, the the goalkeeper comes out a bit too sort of early for the for the, the second Jekko goal, it's still a fantastic ball from Nzonzi. It wasn't as if the the defence were caught sleeping. It was just one of those you know quick instinctive passes right round the back of the defence, and, and away they go. So, as much as they won't they won't feel too happy about conceding three goals, if you look at two of them, they can probably say that they were touches of class. If we we want to categorise him as something. Um, I know Vito was impressed by Zaniolo's touch for the first goal. Barisha does have these moments where he just loses his head and he, he finds himself in unusual positions. But Vito, you wrote about Zaniolo in the week and you were tweeting his praises today. He provided two assists. And for, look, for the third goal, which was scored for El Sharari, it was a fantastic uh, long pass by him. But... That assist for Jekko to open the score, and that was unbelievable. Kolarov crossed from the left, and then just to chest it down. Usually a player just chests it down so they can get control of the ball themselves and do their own thing. But just for Zaniola to come up with that and just chest the ball right into the path of Jekko, oh, that was just fantastic improvisation from him. And it's incredible that he's just 19. Not many kids really have that confidence. He really looks like a a class player and someone who's definitely has the ability to, to bother the elite as he, as he gets a little bit older and he'll probably be the next player at the door at Roma. If it's not a you wouldn't be surprised if it was Zaniolo this summer. What was I going to say next? I have completely forgotten. Oh, th- this is a game between two teams who are competing for Europe and not just Europe for the, for the champions league to be frank. And both kind of showed why they might miss out on it. Roma, because they are, in the words of Arsenal fan TV, spineless, where Atalanta just have these inexplicable moments where they can dominate games and find themselves two, three goals behind. And it's a strange one. It's hard to know how this race is going to unfold. But Kev, if one thing's for certain, it's that if the top three is already done, that final fourth spot is probably going to have five teams competing for it by May. 
Yeah, it is, and it's uh, it's at least going to make the uh, the last few weeks of the season interesting. Um, <clears throat> obviously, they've all not really done themselves uh, a great deal of good this weekend with both uh, Milanese sides, uh, well, not taking three points from their games. Um, but you ju- you do just worry about Atalanta as much as I'd say they shouldn't feel bad about the goals they conceded. Um, from the other respect, Roma, you have to think that. If the, if the defense if the defense makes those sort of errors for those goals, and they've got to have somebody behind them that can at least save them, and they had that last year with Allison, and they don't have it now. I know. Oh, there it is. We there it is. Trust this, but you know, it's one of those things. You can have a strong defense and a goalkeeper that can be beaten at times, and you'll get by. Or you can have a, a defense that will allow the odd striker through or attacker through, and then the goalie will bail you out. At the moment. Roma have neither. And when you've got Robert Robin Olsen going down as slowly as he did for the uh the first and the third goals, um, you know, what can I say? Kev. Usually when you see a sorry, I am now ranting. But usually when you see when you see a goal, you know, in, in replay at slow-mo, it, it doesn't do the goalkeeper any favours. There's a patter equaliser. I think is the only is the only goal of the team that would only ever look better if you sped it up because he goes down so slowly. Sorry, end of rant. No, it's completely true. Um, when Zapata scored that goal, I didn't know how it went in because it was such a weak effort, and it looked as if everybody was at normal speed, but they just somehow managed to slow down the movement of the ball and the movement of Robin Olsen because those two things were like being shown on a replay. I asked you before we came on if you wanted to speak about Robin Olsen. You said no. No, I know. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everybody. No, it's good. um, You're absolutely right as well because I think you deserve that because someone called you out last week saying that Robin Olsen made a save or something. So you had your right to reply, reply and you, you've taken it. <sighs> right, let's move on from that one, shall we? Um, another game I was at this weekend, Milan nil, Napoli nil. And despite what the scoreline suggests, this was a really good game. Fido, did you enjoy it? Um, maybe not as much as you, I'll be honest, because I still prefer goals. And in that aspect... AC Milan should have won this game. I thought Doro Soneri played better throughout the duration of the game and uh, Bakayoko in particular had an excellent game in midfield and I think in terms of ball winning, he's improving and his passing's getting better too. So, um, yeah, it'd be good for them once they start scoring regularly and maybe if Piontek starts in the next game, they can uh, really improve. As for Napoli, I thought... They only really looked dangerous in the last 15, 20 minutes, but they did uh, put Donnarumma under some pressure and uh, he still had to make some good saves to Donnarumma as well. We're coming down on completely different sides of this. Um, Napoli should have taken care of that easily. Milan had a couple of chances, but there were mainly things that came out of absolutely nothing. Bakayoko in the second half was phenomenal, like really, really good, but... His opening 45 minutes was probably one of the worst performances I've seen from a player in Serie A this season. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't walk. He couldn't turn around. He couldn't pass the ball. He was horrendous. And Milan were suffering as a result of that. And Gattuso lined them up in a, 
a four one four one, and Bakayoko was just so isolated, so overrun, so lost in midfield. You could see him like looking around him at times whenever he had the ball, and almost panicking because the players weren't in the same line as him. He he had this line all to himself, and it, it baffled me that. Kessie or Gattuso didn't make the decision to drop Kessie or someone else back to give him that support because he desperately needed it. What struck me from Napoli's perspective, and I said this in my post-match video on the website as well, was they started with a 4-4-2, which seemed strange because Milik, Mertens, Insignia and Callihan all started, which meant that Callihan started on the right and Insignia started on the left. But that just completely stopped their fullbacks from getting forward because they didn't have that extra protection of two deep-lying midfielders and the two boys in front of them were kind of taking the space that they would otherwise run into. Second half, Ancelotti tweaked it a little bit. They went to a 4-2-3-1. Fabian Ruiz and Zielinski dropped back and the fullbacks bombed forward. They had a lot of joy getting in around the back, but Musacchio and Romagnoli were just fantastic in in central defence and they did limit Napoli to those shots from outside the box. But the whole second half was Napoli's Milan were meh. They, they were just average. They, they were they were nothing special. Piontek could have had a goal when he came on. He was he was closed down quite nicely. Cassie could have had a couple, yeah, but I don't know. I, I wasn't impressed with Milan, with the exception of Bakayoko in the second half, and then the two guys at the at the back. Someone who who was terrible was Hakan Chalonoglu. <laughs> and Kev, the San Siro let him know. They they whistled him and booed him as he was taken off. Catuzo said in his press conference afterwards that he wasn't happy. But Kev, do you think that Chalonoglu might be coming into his final days at Milan? Yeah, I, I think so. And I saw it, I, I'm sure I saw a link over the weekend um, of somebody in Germany, you know, potentially wanting to take him back there. Um, he, he just doesn't. He doesn't do enough. He's one of those. Or if you like YouTube footballers, that you know you can get a good five or six minute show reel off of his his, his strikes when he was at uh, Bayer Leverkusen, um, but he, he he doesn't really offer that much. And also, when he knows he's got that in his locker, and then sometimes at a game he can he can get the ball and there there are better options on, and he'll just sort of shoot sort of randomly. Um, oddly enough, they were playing um, Napoli, and I, I used to see that a lot with Insigne when he was a lot younger, maybe we're talking 2013, 14 season. And really he's got rid of that from his game and Chalonoglu uh, should have done by now, really. Honestly, I think Insigne was even guilty of that two years ago. It was, and this season has been probably his biggest maturation, but yeah, Chalonoglu did that in the first half. And that was the moment when it turned for him. The Milan fans hadn't been on his back. And then he blazed one over when there were three or four passing options that were better placed and, and that was that. Then every time we got the ball, they were kind of already on his back. If we want to talk about Napoli, someone who really shone for them, for me, was Pieter Zielinski. Uh, Vito, this, he, he, this has been a long time coming, I think, because he's always been reliable whenever he's played. Last season, he was basically Marek Hamšík's stand-in, so he'd come on for the last 20 minutes every week and play when Hamšik didn't but this season in the absence of Alan and Hamšik at times he's staking a claim to make that position his own well it's come to the point that he's got to play in a far more central role 
this idea of him playing as a left midfielder in a 4-4-2, even if it means he's got to drift centrally, is not really for him and it's more or less just Ancelotti trying to accommodate him in the system for the sake of fitting him him in with the other players. Uh, Zielinski is a guy he can provide good passes. He's got a good long-range shot on him too. So if he gets the chance to play more centrally more often, he can uh, make a difference and he probably could have had uh, a couple of goals himself against uh, Rossoneri. Yeah, definitely. Donnarumma did quite well to deny him. And I think he was the player who had the shot that went just wide. I could be wrong. That, that's a piece, actually, that one of you or me will write this week if Zielinski's time is now to be the, the main man and Hampshire has to move on, or not move on, but step back. Anything else to say from this game, guys? Well, I thought the Fabian Ruiz red card was an absolute oh, farce. Of course. Um, how on earth was that a handball? I mean, anywhere else on planet Earth. Seriously, I feel really aggrieved for, you know, Fabian Ruiz and the Neapolitan fans. They might get a reputation for having a victim mentality or that they complain too much, but I think they feel really justified in their claims that that was a really unfair sending off. As a Sampdoria fan, though, I'm probably a bit happy in that regard because... You know, he's one player that can pose a threat for the next game. So Napoli, some thought it should be a top game. But even so, um, proper refereeing has to be done regardless of who's involved. And that was just, it was basically a made-up red card, really, because he was just trying to chest the ball down. And that was really about it. I thought it was absolutely ludicrous to send him off. It was strange. The fact that they can't contest it, uh, apparently, because it's a second yellow, is just bonkers. It's crazy, isn't it? But there was that one of those strange moments where I, I wish I was watching the game at home because I could have actually seen a replay then because it didn't look like a handball from where I was. And I assumed that something had happened earlier on and he said something and ended up talking himself into a red card. I could not work out what had happened. Trying to see replays couldn't, and it, it just—it's so obviously isn't a, a, a second yellow card. It, it was bizarre. I think the one thing that goes against him is that the ball is going towards his his stomach or chest area, right? And both of his hands come in, and I know they don't actually hit the ball, but maybe the referee saw both hands moving inwards and assumed oh, he's done that to control the ball with his hands. Not that that's an excuse. It was a terrible, terrible, terrible decision, but I don't know, maybe. Maybe that's what the referee saw. But yeah, it is bizarre. And then that obviously led to Ancelotti getting sent off because he was going spare on the sideline. And in his press conference afterwards, he was he was a bit shocked that he got sent off. He said, a curse word escaped me, but I didn't say anything to offend anyone. And I felt a little bit sorry for Carlo, who's an absolute joy to listen to because he says good evening to everyone that asks him a question. It's great. But let's move on then to... Another calm, relaxing game. Um, Kievo Fiorentina. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I don't even know where to begin with these games, to be honest with you. Again, crazy, chaotic, Vito. A game between Kievo. Kievo scored three times and still lost. 4-3, Fiorentina. What happened? Oh, I'm just lost for words for this one. Look, I'll just get it out of the way and say that the referee, Kiffy, had a shock of a game. And truth be told, if there was a game where Kiev could score five or six and also a team coached by Domenico Di Carlo in a competitive game, if they could have scored five or six in a match, this could have been the one. But I thought some of the refereeing was uh, poor and... Um, and also, Pellissier did have a penalty saved, so that was a bit hard on them. But other than that, this was a frenetic game, end-to-end. Um, Fiorentina never really looked comfortable in their lead. And to be honest, there were patches where Kiev actually played some good football. Maybe it wasn't stylish, but they had the attacking mindset. They had the attacking endeavour, and they were determined to, you know, really get the points. And I think they should have deserved at least a point from this one. The difference maker was that you know, Fiorentina probably have the better quality, so they scored those good goals. And Federico Chiesa chipped in with two goals, and he has to do that more often because he's got a lot of great attributes, but probably the scoring aspect of the game is probably what he needs to improve on, and at least he did that in this game. Yeah, the, the referee was getting a lot of criticism. I, I don't want to get into VAR. There was that decision, obviously, when, when Giaccarini intercepted the ball on the line of the box. And technically, the right decision was reached, right? You're not allowed to do that. It's illegal. It's an absolute nonsense rule. And I think it's going to be retracted because they trialed it at the, at the Club World Cup this year. They, they played without that rule in place. And usually they use the Club World Cup as kind of a guinea pig to to try out these new things. So I think with from next season onwards, UEFA are looking at not having that rule in. So you can intercept the ball. Once the goalkeeper kicks it, it's it's seen as active. You just have to stand outside the box before he kicks it, which is a good idea because that I've never understood that. Even as a, as a child, getting pulled up for that was just, really? I mean, he's kicked the ball. I've intercepted it. He's stupid for doing that. But... 
where shall we go? We'll, we'll stick with this. Kev, Chiesa, again. He, he's so good. Yeah, and uh, I, I think I'd echo what uh, what Vito said about needing more goals. But then it's a bit like Zielinski. We kind of still forget how young young he is. You know, then you hope that will that will come over time. My fear, my fear for Fiorentina more than Chiesa is: can he get what he wants from his career with them? Um, we've got a certain Gabriel Battistuta turning fifty uh, next week, and he obviously had a he stuck around for a long time with Fiorentina and took him to a Coppa Italia, but. I just, I just don't see Fiorentina improving at the rate that Chiesa will. Um, and if he stays there, he's just going to sort of stagnate. And for the sake of the Italian national team and him personally, I think he maybe needs to move on. The problem is if any, he like does a Bernadeschi and goes to a Juve, and then we maybe don't see him week in, week out, fulfilling his potential. Where could he go? Because... What he, if he went to Juve, he wouldn't play. And I feel like he's the type who just wants to play all the time. Napoli, they, they've got players in that position. Roma probably wouldn't part with the money it will take to get him. Yeah, Roma would possibly waste his talent as well. Yeah, true. Yeah. It is uh, it's a hard one. It's a really hard hard one because there's, there's too much of... Um, it, it's like I was on Twitter earlier. It's Cancelo leaving... Leaving Inter was sad this summer because he went and just strengthened Juve. But then, you know, if he'd stayed, Spalletti probably wasted his talent into this season. It's... This is Inter, the team that I thought of when I was thinking of destinations for Chiesa, because he would he would kind of fill a lot of the things that they need filling. He, he can create. He's direct. He's fun. He's a winger. He's good. But Spalletti would probably just stunt them somehow, wouldn't he? It, it's nice at Fiorentina that he has this freedom. And now he's got someone who can convert the chances that he creates. Vito Luth Muriel is he is the guy that Fiorentina have needed all season for now. It's a good start. He scored three goals in the first two games. And yeah, at the moment he's making a difference and to be honest, I thought he could have added another two goals, to be honest. There was one moment where he chipped Sorrentino, but the shot went wide. And then there was another moment where he took a shot and it hit the post. So he's looking dangerous and, uh, you know, he takes pressure off uh, Giovanni Simeone. And hopefully for Fiorentina's sake, he keeps it up because he's one of those guys that on his day, he is dangerous. But as we discussed last week, it's a matter of him sort of being more consistent, and also he's got to try and stay in shape for as long as possible because that's probably what's ruined his career most of the time, that he probably carries too many kilos for his liking. And when he's trim enough, he actually can show that he's actually got some very good pace on him. Yeah, he's lightning when he's, when he's on it, but living in Italy probably isn't the best thing from, let's be honest, carbs, plentiful. There's a lot of good food. It's not a good mm-hmm. situation, but <laughs> it is what it is. Shall we move on from this? Um, Torino won Inter nil. This was a surprise. This was a terrible game. There were no chances. Um, uh, Lantaro Martinez had one early on and hit it wide. He, he should have buried it. But Kev, after that, this was awful. 
Yeah, the the whole whole game was pretty pretty poor, really. Um, Mazzari set Torino up to. Well, I was going to say Stoifel Inter, but Inter never really sort of got at them to to be Stoifel. This is the thing. You knew Torino were going to do that, but Spalletti decided to set Inter up to stifle Torino's stifling of them. It was bizarre. It's, a 3-5-2, he went back with, who was it, Lautaro Martinez and Nicardi up front together, and it, it didn't work. They didn't get the ball. Inter have a real problem with creativity, I think. And... Uh... I, I just can't see Spalletti being there next year. I can't see the Inter fans putting up with it for much longer. Um, you know, they they drop more points than they could be caught for for the Champions League places. Obviously, that is a bit, you know, it's, it's going to take some doing from the t- teams chasing them. Um, but yeah, it's similar to the maybe maybe Chiesa goes to Inter after Icardi finally gets fed up of uh, having not a lot to uh, to deal with at Inter. So then Chiesa has the same problems at Inter in that he's creating all these chances and they haven't got anyone to, to score them, which... I did say that ruin him. <laughs> he just has to make sure that Luis Muriel goes wherever he goes and then he's got a, a career cut out from anywhere. But this, this was really bad. Spalletti, I, I think you're right about that. I can't see him being there. He never looks like he's enjoying himself either. It's just... It's not a good match and... I don't know how long we've been saying it for, but they, they need someone who can create chances and they haven't got it. Their midfield three today was Marcelo Brozovic, Matthias Ficino, and who was the Jean Mario. And it was like they played with no midfield. They just weren't there. There was so much space for Torino to get into. There were times where Inter would have the ball in an attacking position and I was trying to work out where their midfielders were because I could see the space that Torino were going to exploit. It was they were they were awful. But then Politano came on. Spalletti said afterwards that he was risking Politano by putting him on for the twenty minutes. But Politano obviously didn't feel up to taking that risk because he just got himself sent off ridiculously for being an idiot. As I was watching the game, I sort of because I was drifting away thinking about anything because the game was so awful. I found myself trying to trying to work out which of the Inter players I would take. You know, if I was a sort of a Champions League contesting team, who would I take? And I thought, Handanovic is getting a little old now, but if you've got a poor keeper, <coughs> Robin Olsen, maybe <laughs> uh, maybe you'd take Handanovic. And, and then you thought, you know, the obvious choice is Cardi and maybe two of the centre halves. And I think when you've got when you've got a squad where squad for sort of man to man, you wouldn't take many of them. You really need to have a coach that's going to make the team more than the sum of its parts. And, and and Spalletti clearly can't do that. He can do it defensively. He can set a team up to be structured and organised, but he can't. Yeah. He, he just he can't get a team to score goals. It's, I don't understand it because he had that Roma team that were okay, but this the last few years of Spalletti has just been so turgid. It's difficult to watch. Um, and he, I think you're spot on. He's he surely can't be out in there for that much longer. Icardi. To right, he's got to be looking at this and thinking maybe it's time to move on because what's he going to do with Inter? Qualify for the Champions League every year? He's got talent to win Champions Leagues. He's got talent to win leagues every year, not to be settling for fourth place. Um, it's a shame for Politano that he lost his head because he's good. He's been one of the bright sparks this year, but I think you're right, Kev. 
you take the two centre backs and Icardi, I wouldn't even touch Andanovic anymore, to be honest. I think he's, especially not if you're a team that likes to play football because he's terrible with his feet. Let's move past that one then. That I want to forget about that because just talking about it, I can feel the cold that I felt sitting there in the Olympic. It's the coldest I've been at a game this season. I wasn't happy about it. Um, Palmer 2, Spal 3. Another collapse. Vito, this time it was Palmer who did it, which is strange because they have looked solid at times this season under Diverso. They usually have been. And... Parma generally are very tight at the back. They don't score many goals, but they don't concede much either. So this particular result was really bizarre. And the other bizarre thing about it was it was against Spal, who don't score many goals anyway. Roberto Inglese had those two goals, and he probably should have had a hat-trick as well. So he's continuing his uh, solid campaign for the Ducali. But uh, Spal, yeah, they did it out of nowhere. Lazzari got an assist for the first goal and he's continuing his own good run in the last couple of years with Spal. And uh, Petania, out of all people, scored the equaliser. So that was uh, bizarre. And, you know, he's got to do that because Spal are lacking in goals and he lacks goal-scoring touch for a striker. So good to see him on the score sheet. And Fares scored an incredible winner. That was a fantastic shot from outside the box. Mate, don't be so harsh on Batania. This is the the best goal scoring season of the boy's career. And you're blasting him like that. It's unbelievable. Well, compared to what Zapata's doing, you can see why they made the change. Yeah, absolutely. Look, we call this in the summer, right? Zapata's able to do the things Batania does, but he also scores goals. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Um, I'm slightly dreading going back to Parma. I might just see if Dov will have me stay in his place in, in Milan. <laughs> I, I was saying all week to the Parmigiani, oh, you have an easy game this week. Spal, that's fine, right? And they're all like, oh, don't say that. It's superstitious. I said, ah, you'll have no problems against Spal. Spal don't score goals. I feel responsible. And I feel like they're going to make me feel even more responsible. So I'm not looking forward to heading back down there tomorrow. Where else can we go? What else happened this weekend? What else? Sump masterclass. Yeah, I was trying to, I was trying to lure it out of you. A, a sound masterclass, but more specifically, Fabio Quagliarella, Vito. Oh my god! Who would have thought that a guy who's going to be turning thirty-six in about three days' time would be leading the Serie R chase? He's got sixteen goals now. He's got one more than Zapata and Cristiano Ronaldo and uh, three ahead of Piontek. And, yeah, it's just uh, incredible that he's still in this form. He scored two penalties, and some people on social media debating if there were penalties or not, but I think that's just them, especially the Udinese fans, being sore losers and not addressing how rubbish the team is. Udinese don't have any fans, Vito, so you're... Not many, not many. (laughs) Whatever fans they got. But I think in general, we went there to play football... We played our game and we succeeded, whereas uh, Udinese tried to stifle us. And aside from the Alessandro, they hardly offered anything. And, uh, you know, great to see Quayarella get involved. And most of the team played well as well. Like Ekdal had a good game, Saponara too. Uh, The third goal in particular was a great passing goal. I mean, people talk about Barcelona and Arsenal and their passing game for the last 10, 20 years, but that was Doria style right there and then. 
beautiful team goal. Intelligent movement, crisp passing. And then Gabbiadini on his return to Sump, had an assist last week. This week he scores one, you know, on the counter-attack, so I'm happy for him. So another three points and hopefully helps us push for Europe too. Yeah, for sure. Gabbiadini's settling in quite nicely there, but Udinese are one of those sides who must be so, so fortunate that there are three terrible, terrible teams in Serie A this year, in Bologna, Frosinone and Chievo, because Udinese will be fine. Uh, and it's ridiculous because they've been fighting down there for the last couple of years and I just want rid of them. But Kev, Qualiorella, he's he's closing in on that record. And it, next week he faces Napoli, his hometown club. It's written in the stars, right? Or or is it? It could be. But uh, I don't I don't know if this, uh, this is Fiorentina fans that have put this out on social media, but I've seen it in a few places. Uh, and I don't know what you guys, uh, you know, your thoughts are on it, but apparently uh, Mr. Battistuta, whose record he has now equaled or not, according to the Fiorentina fans, scored in the last two games of the 92-93 season where Fiorentina were relegated. So obviously didn't contest the 93-94 season in Serie A and then scored in the first 11 games of 94-95. So they're saying technically... No, it's nonsense. It's 13, no. games, 13 games. They are they are clutching at straws, I think. That's the technicality that's been raised. That is the technicality, that he had a season out of Syria. Yeah, because he, they got relegated. Because they got relegated. He got relegated. He played league matches. No. I've, I've seen people take... Uh, take effectively a record from one season into the next, but not bypass an entire season. That's crazy. I had seen people trying to make Qualiorella's achievement null and void because he didn't play one of the games. So the run is 12 games that he has played, not 12 games that Samp have played because obviously he sat out the the Roma game, which is is nonsense. Okay. He he can't score if he's not playing, but he played, so he got his goals. No, that's, that's mad. And when, when you said beforehand that people were trying to claim that he's not closing in on the record, I was thinking, why would someone do that? But then you said it's Fiorentina fans, and it suddenly makes so much sense because they hate Qualiorella, and obviously they love Batigol. So. Batistutas is from the first game of the season, so he can, cl- he can lay claim to that record and keep hold of that. Yeah, exactly. The, the first player to score in the first 11, but he shouldn't have got relegated. Um, right. Guys, Bologna... Can we just relegate them now? I know they're technically the highest placed in the relegation zone, but they haven't won for 14 matches. They're horrendous. They've won twice in Serie A all season, as well as a Coppa Italia game against Crotone. And they've just been beaten 4-0 at home to Frosinone. Vito. I'm just as stunned as you are, Connor. Losing... To Frosinone is one thing, but to lose to them at home and by a four-goal margin, uh, that's an absolute joke. I mean, credit to Frosinone because they actually got a few young Italian kids like Gilione and Pinomonti who scored. So it's good for them, good for their confidence, and I'm happy for them. So hopefully they can progress and improve on their form. But as uh, good as Frosinone had been in that game, uh, Bologna... They've been disastrous this season, let's be frank. Inzaghi looks like he's out of depth in Serie A. The thing is, they've actually made some decent signings in the January window. And I saw a replay of the game against Spa last week. And in the first half, they actually looked pretty promising. So if uh, the Bologna president, Joey Saputo, keeps his word and 
considers sacking him and actually does that, hopefully whoever comes in can actually improve this team because I don't think this squad is that bad to be 18th, but I think Inzaghi is really dragging them down. He is. It's not that bad of a squad, but I've seen them play a few times this season and I've never been as bored in my life at football matches than when I'm watching Bologna. Honestly, I'm not trying to be dramatic, hyperbolic or anything. They are, this season, the worst team I've ever seen play in the flesh. And every time I see them play, it only reinforces that opinion. They're horrendous. They show absolutely nothing. But they've got players who are capable. We've seen before they are capable. Sansone is there now. He's a good player. I don't know why he's there. Kev, surely this is completely on Inzaghi's head. Yeah, I think so. Before I go into Bologna, when I sort of first saw the result this afternoon, the people I felt for were Kievo. They've been doing so well in recent weeks. They, they, they should really have got something out of the game with Fiorentina. They must, because they were the early kickoff, they must have got, got out, showered, got, got, gone to wherever they went to spend the rest of their afternoons and thought, wow, even Bologna lay down their arms and now Frosinone have moved even far, uh, further away from us. But, uh, yeah, Inzaghi clearly can't, can't organise the team. The, the first two goals, there was just no marking. You know, even if you allowed for the sending off, which was definitely a red, there wasn't a defender in touching distance of either of the players that scored the first two goals. And then for the fourth, again, there was no one, no one really in uh, anywhere near the um, uh, Cianos who ran through on goal. They were they were just running around like headless chickens at one point. Um, I saw the comments from the president that they were pitiful and that things will change. So I watched the extended highlights and they were, they were just, it was like watching a, 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 a children's match where sort of three or four players were just running to the ball and then none of them making a tackle. So it was just leaving wide open spaces for, for Frosinone to do what they like him. They are terrible. Uh, the guy, um, Ibrahim Mbai, I've liked the look of him when I've seen him this season. And that's about it, really. They've got Skorupski in goal. He's he's good. You got to think. He's awful. He's, he is usually good. Today he was a joke. Did you see the one that he just like? Yeah. I, I don't know what he did. It was it was mad. But he has proven in Serie A to be a decent goalkeeper before, for, consistently for a few years. But it's just not working. The that line things will change has got to be ominous for. Inzaghi, surely he will be sacked by the time a lot of people listen to this. Um, but who did they get in? Vito, where do they go from here? There's, there have been reports of Mihailovic going there, right? But... Surprisingly enough, compared to Donadoni and Inzaghi, he would actually be an improvement. And that goes to show how bad those two are as coaches. Um, look, Mahalovic, his career's pretty much gone downhill since he left Sampdoria nearly four years ago. But when uh, Mahalovic can get things right, the team will work hard. They'll be tight at the back. And he can give a few kids a chance. So for someone like Ricardo Orsolini, he might actually benefit from being under Mahalovic's tutelage than what he would be under Inzaghi. So hopefully for the last six months of the season, months, uh, maybe he can turn forms 
his former round. But in saying that, there aren't many good coaches available. No, there really aren't. And why would you want to go into that absolute mess at Bologna anyway? Um, right, guys, I think we've done it. Next week is potentially a very, very exciting week for, for me because I have seen 19 of the 20 Serie A teams in the flesh this season. And Kev, I think next week is the week that I complete the set when I visit Ferrara to see Spaltek on Torino. Um, I don't want to watch Torino two weeks in a row, but I think it allows me to complete the set so I can go off and get some nice Tortelli di Zucca and I'll be happy. I'll eat well. The stadium's close to the stations. To the station, Ferrara is a beautiful little place. So let's hope all things go to plan and I get myself to Ferrara next week for that and I can brag on Twitter about seeing every Serie A team in the flesh this season. I'd be over the moon with that. Oh, mate, I've been so frustrated because I've been on 19 since about November. And it's really, really frustrating that it's coming at the first weekend of February. It's not even by the end of January. It's the start of February that I get there. So it's not that impressive. But it's still quite nice to see every team in the flesh play. But um, I think we're there. I think that's it. Any final thoughts? Nothing, really. Just hopefully Empoli beat Genoa. Yeah, of course, that's tomorrow in a game that very few people will care about. I don't know why they've put that on a Monday night. That's harsh because where is it? It's in Empoli. So I guess it's not too far for Genoa to travel. Just need to negotiate the mountains there, but down the coast in Liguria, then across into Tuscany, they'll be fine. Lots of Monday night games are awful across mainland Europe. You know, uh, I'm trying to think, oh, the Germans, the German fans are boycotting the Monday night games. I mean, even they realise it's the graveyard shift. It's so frustrating. Atalanta were put down for a lot of them this season because they were supposed to be playing in the Europa League, um, but then they messed that one up. So now for the second half of the season, I don't think they've got too many. But it, it was the thing in Spain a couple of years ago where Real Betis or Espanyol seemed to play every Monday night one of those two teams. So th- there were people buying season tickets, planning to go to the stadium every other weekend, only to find out that 19 or 15 times out of the 19, they were supposed to play at home that they couldn't actually go because they were Monday night games and they were working or they had kids or something. It's, it's ridiculous. I, I hate the Monday night game, to be honest with you. I much prefer the Friday night fixtures. And even that, uh, not completely sold on, but it's better than Monday night because Monday night games just get forgotten about. At least with the Friday fixtures, you can kind of build up to them all week. But once Sunday night is finished, football's finished for me. And then you start looking ahead to the next round. But that's another point. Kev, thank you very much. Uh, Hopefully speak to you next week. My pleasure. Speak to you soon. And Vito, thank you as ever. Not a problem. It was uh, another great pod. So really enjoyed it and... Yeah, looking forward to chat to you guys again next week. Wonderful stuff. So, listeners, you know the drill by now. Head over to ForzaItalianFootball.com to read all of your Italian football coverage. We've got opinion pieces. Katharina Mira has been doing her fans worldwide thing, which is proving popular. She speaks to supporters clubs of different clubs from all over the world. We went heavy on Dublin this week, which made me feel a little bit homesick. Um, but it was nice. It's good. And, yeah, we are the only website that are going to games every week and speak English for you, so why go anywhere else? Hashtag FIF at the games. Don't forget it. We'll be out more next week. 
Until then, all I have to say is ciao for now. Ciao. Io questa maglia sognavo da bambino. Quando giocavo ancora col trenino. Mio padre andava sempre al comunale. C'era il Torino, Torino da sognare. Granata è una seconda pelle. Portarla come un viaggio tra le stelle. Lo so cos'è la storia e la leggenda. Giochiamo noi, la fiamma non si è spenta. Io sono il capitano, undici cuori tenuti per la mano, vincere sempre vincere con ardore, per il Torino, per il suo grande cuore. È un'emozione che sempre mi attanaglia, sono del toro e un grido mi accompagna, forza ragazzi vinciamo con onore, essere granato. Vuol dire fede e amore E ancora ancora E sempre ancora La parola canta tutta in cuore E ancora ancora E sempre ancora Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.